Hey, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. This week, Keith and I dive into what the heck's going on at Disney with this deal with Scarlett Johansson. Are they really just bullying her? Are they using this COVID thing as an excuse? We think that the back-end deals are legitimate, and I think the, the actress has the opportunity to really defend herself here. Let's not be believe all this PR stuff about her being greedy. Um, but we also just wonder about the leadership of Hollywood and where it's going. These OTT platforms and streaming platforms have some major shifts that are taking place, or as Variety would say, a revolution with Scott Stuber. But we're really wondering where the leadership is going to come from for the next generation that can take advantage of this evolution that's that's happening within these platforms. So this and many more things, please stay tuned for Hollywood Breaks. It's good to have you. Keith, I miss seeing you face to face. I know. It's been a while, Tim. Wow. One of my favorite parts of the name Vision Craft Brew, it reminds me of the Liberty Bell bar that we'd go to <laughs> next yes. door to the place where we both worked for a little while. We used to work. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. There's just something that like those are great memories being outside eating the pretzels, drinking the brew, what, looking at the Liberty Bell. Right where the, where, where the whole country was, like, foot steps away from where the country was born. That's right. It's quite the place to have a brew, I must say. I miss that. I think what we have to do is figure out how to uh, watch a movie together at some point. Oh, dude, by the way, come on. Come on, son. Anybody that turned on Disney Plus in the last seven days saw... Stuntman. That's the very first slide that you saw there. Yes, you're Stuntman. Way to go, Tim. Come on. That's good. That's awesome. And my brother was, my, it was great. It was great. I had not seen the edit. We watched it as a family. And my brother is like in five minutes of the film. He's the, at some point, the, the Stuntman needs to go get financing. And uh, we were looking for private, uh, or I'll say uh, brands to sponsor the, the launch. And my brother, who worked with the NHRA, took him to an NHRA track and introduced him to all the brands and writers and and creators and that kind of stuff. So he's the bald guy introducing um, Eddie to all the folks at the NHRA track. If you're if you're watching the movie, nice. Look at that. I like it. Uncle Pat. Uncle Pat made the film. That's awesome. Go, Uncle Pat. Good for you. But I'll say, you know, it was perfect placement. And if you watch the first two minutes of the film, you know exactly why. Because Dwayne Johnson, who's the EP of our film, obviously is also doing Jungle Book this week. So you know there was a two-film promo deal going out. Jungle Jungle Cruise. Cruise. Sorry, my bad. I, I totally did the faux pas, didn't I? Yeah, you did. They're going to be mad. <laughs> Cut. Do it again. <laughs> yeah, and scene. But uh, Jungle Cruise, this is the next big Disney experiment of like, are they going to... Mm-hmm. So what are they going to do? Are they going to do theatrical and online? What's the what's the play out? Both. It's it's another it's another um, uh, premium access deal. Um, so it'll be released in theaters. It's in theaters as we speak, and it's now are available on Disney Plus for premium access. So um, yeah, so we're going through another one of these rigmaroles, and they have already said that they're going to announce on Sunday morning. The uh, Disney, the Premier Access numbers. So they're sort of setting that expectation now that when they do release a film in Premium Access, they will release the numbers on Sunday. So they're sort of starting to set that precedent, um, which is great, I think. But isn't it interesting that the same week that they're ready yeah. for this, I mean, the last greatest experiment they did 
totally is backfiring. Scarlett Johansson is suing them for doing this exact same rollout. Yeah. Because the back-end deals she's promised are basically, I mean, you sign a contract with a deal, you have some expectations. The studio has an obligation to meet that expectation. They changed the game. They changed the rules. Their excuse is COVID, but we all know that the theaters are open and Disney is Disney. They can do what they want to do. Correct. Or even just pause release. Instead, she doesn't make the money she's expected and she sues them for this exact same play that Dwayne Johnson's being stuck in. So it makes me wonder, yeah. is The Rock going to be suing Disney soon too? I think this is, a, this is a result of what you know started with the HBO Max Warner Media disaster where they just dumped everything on and they didn't really tell talent and it was sort of like a disaster for them in town, both, you know, because as we said before, this, this business is based on relationships and burning bridges is not advisable. <laughs> and, you know, Warner Media took a major torch to the bridges in that town with that decision. And it cost them over $200 million by some estimates to make it right with talent and sort of the back end deals. Cause they had very similar deals. Now, Disney apparently has not been as uh, gracious uh, to put, put it in simple terms. Now, I don't necessarily blame them because they're they're they are suffering from sort of the COVID, what what the landscape's like, and um, they're experimenting, trying to find a way to get the movie in front of the most audience, the most people as possible. Um, but I think again, contracts are pretty ironclad, in particularly in this country and in general in the industry. Um, and from what I've read thus far, again, I don't have necessarily you know information telling me otherwise that her her team was reaching out to disney saying hey we need to have a conversation about this we need to discuss this this was not what we agreed to um trying to do it that way and i guess disney was just blowing them off and um you know so that's kind of where it lies then disney shot back going really hardcore at scarlet by basically saying listen you've already made 20 million why are you doing this in the midst of this horrible pandemic, which is affecting millions of people? Really, just going after her in terms of like just with the audience, so like nasty, just trying to make her look like a that's like the nastiest play, bad guy, and yeah, it's pretty nasty. I mean, I, you know, listen, I'm not going to say I disagree with what Disney's doing in terms of their playing with the model and trying to figure out a way, but. You know, it's like, listen, you, you got to make it right. If there was an agreement and apparently they have an email from Marvel's general counsel about, listen, we know we agreed to a theatrical release. We're going to honor that. That's not going to play well. And the other factor of this, which I think a lot, is kind of getting missed in a lot of the mainstream press, is the Kevin Feige of it all. Like Kevin Feige has built a relationship with these actors through their 13 or whatever films and for this to come like right on the tail end of this, when he was already wanting this to be theatrical, it sounds like he gave in and said, "I get it. We got to make Disney Plus a priority." But then it gets then this suit shows up, and if he hasn't been kept in the loop in terms of what's been happening, and Scarlett's been calling, and her team's been calling, and she's been ignored, and he didn't know about that, which I find highly doubtful. But maybe he was kept out of the loop. I don't know. Um, that's also bad. Because you don't want Kevin Feige, who has basically built Disney Plus, aside from Kathleen Kennedy at Lucasfilm, <laughs> you know, they don't really have much without those two brands. And I don't know if it's advisable to tick off the guy who has basically made your company into a multi-billion dollar powerhouse. It doesn't seem like me... And one of the greatest brand, brand, um, entertainment brands. In, in yeah, exactly. Current. Yeah, it's, yeah. Current, but here, yes. Here's the question I have is like, 
do you, I don't want to make something out of something if it's not, but I'm just a little bit curious about um, the timing and the person in that this is the, a, a female led film. It's the, in the Marvel yes. series, it's the only female. Oh, I guess uh, uh, Captain, Captain Marvel was. Um, Captain yeah. Marvel, right. But we yes. have a female led film and I feel like they, they wouldn't necessarily do these bullying tactics with other people. Like, I don't think they're going to be bullying Dwayne Johnson and talking about how much money he made and whatever. If he's on the back end of this deal saying it didn't turn out the way I want yeah. to. So I'm a little curious about that. And only because it's the other female actresses, but that's redundant. The other actresses that are coming forward, um, right? Emma Stone, Emily Blunt, that are making the same case of like, are is there possibly a standard that they calculated into it of like, well, don't worry, we'll just make them look greedy on the back end. They'll never be able to come, you know, make this deal again. Um, it's just a little concerning if that's true. Yeah, I mean that that's definitely it. It is a little concerning that you know the 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 the, the, the actresses are sort of the ones that have to fight this battle. And you're right, we don't have any noise about Dwayne Johnson in terms of his unhappiness. Um, John Krasinski made some noise about potentially going after Paramount if they didn't stick to the, the theatrical release or if they didn't broaden it wide enough, but I think he was rightfully happy with how that was handled, how that went and how it's still going to the point where he just backed off. Um, and you know, Disney, I mean, I'm sorry, Warner media had a lot of issues too across the board, but they made it right. They, well, if you leave, believe what Brian Lord says, and he is pretty much the grand pooba in terms of the agency side of the business. They have a lot of work to do. So clearly that didn't help. That helped, but it didn't solve the problem. Now, Disney's sort of facing the same issue. And I think this goes just back to sort of the compensation model. Like how, because when, take for example, when Jim Carrey got paid $20 million for the cable guy, I believe it was. That was unprecedented. It was just, what? And then that sort of became like, okay, that's not real reality. So here's what we'll do. We'll give you back-end points. So if the, once the movie hits break even, then you start, you know, there's bonuses depending on if it keeps going up. You know, and everyone knows that studio accounting is this sort of shell game of where the money's coming from and how it's being allocated and who makes what. And, and you know, they took that, everything has just continually shifted over the last few years because the studios want to try to keep more and more of the money. And as it's harder and harder to open a movie, you have to spend more and more money in the marketing to get the movie out there. That has to be shifted somewhere and I think a lot of that has come out of the talent salaries now for for most of the Avengers movies they were just making killing and you know Robert Downey Jr. is printing cash like so what would they have to say like hey we've made billions of dollars on these other releases oh Scarlet you we didn't get it on Black Widow so we we're going to screw you out of it instead of saying oh look at obviously you win some you lose some but we owe you money we should pay you out it's just the way it should be Again, it's the state that you know. You look at the statement that they released, and it's very much sort of trying to make her look bad in the court of yeah. public opinion. Basically, saying, "How dare you do this in the midst of this pandemic?" And oh, by the way, you already made twenty million salary for this movie, and now you want an additional fifty. Like, what? You know, listen. They're what are they? They're basically only basing off of the premier access dollars. They're not basing right, off of the retain right. the the retained viewers at Disney Plus that they have a hundred million right. of them because they have a platform that she's on. 
There, it's really yeah. like a skewed thing. I, I mean, SAG's going to have to get involved in this eventually, right? They're going to have to get some clarity of how this stuff works if we're going to change the rules. Yeah, I think, and, and you know, that's interesting you bring it up because SAG has an election coming up in the next month or so, I believe, um, for their two factions, which are, their, their elections are always contentious. <laughs> I think ours are bad for the president. You see the president of SAG. That's just like a whole uh, other ballgame. come on. <laughs> but, oh, uh, actors, exactly. But... I think that's a big part of the what the this campaign strategy is. What defines streaming? How is this new world order going to affect us? You know, because yes, we're talking about Scott Johansson's make twenty, but what about like the down the line actors who, you know, rely on this? You know, if it's a theatrical release, does that change their comp structure? I I don't really know the ins and outs of how actors get paid per se, but you know, there's a lot of things that sort of affecting the shifting that's happening and. I, you know, Disney has always, as I said previously, has always been known to toe the hard line. They've done it with the exhibitors. Um, now they're apparently doing it with talent. And, you know, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. I think it'll be settled quickly because they don't want this to draw out. Sure. You know, again, I'm sure I'm, I read that Kevin Feige is none too happy about this at all. And, you know, Bob Chapek can't afford to lose him. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Toby Emmerich's calling Kevin like, hey, DC, come on over. We got an entire library of characters that you can tap. So, you know, they're, they have to be careful about that. And I think this is going to bring up issues with all the talent on all their movies. Um, now, listen, I think everybody realizes now in a negotiating position moving forward, you have to say, if it's not guaranteed theatrical, if it's going to be theatrical and streaming, this is what the conversation will be. Which is fine after the fact, but right now... This is somebody who made a deal. Yeah. And Disney is not. Yes. Please don't cry wolf of COVID. Don't, don't be ridiculous. They made 100 million. They got 100 million subscribers because of COVID. Yes, they did. They are not hurting. And they get paid every single month from those 100 million subscribers to get that film on their platform. Yeah, like I that's come on. Yeah, they're not they're not hurting. And I it would literally be the 50 million would probably be a drop in the bucket, but for them it's about the precedent. They don't want to set that precedent, but I do believe that this will probably be settled relatively quickly. They don't want to drag this out, but it is going to it is going to cause these this tension to start building between talent and the studios and it's just not what you really want right now when you're struggling to get, you know, productions going because, you know, it's just it's just not the kind of thing you really want. In the midst of all this, well, some of my thought is, and I, it's not a think, it's not a trend. I think is going to turn away, but um, you know, and you know, my favorite uh, film studio for all of its creative um, ability is Netflix. I think they just know, really know how to, <laughs> as he says sarcastically. But uh, for those who don't know, that's sarcastic. <laughs> <laughs> but Netflix, you know, I think what some what drives me crazy when I'm watching those films is I, as I honestly think, like they've clearly commoditized everything. And some of what I feel is commoditized is just the actors and actresses that are in the in the film, because they're simply yeah. just choosing a name regardless of the conditions of the production quality and putting it out there. And they're mm -hmm. churning this. I was going to use a bad word. This films out <laughs> on a weekly basis to keep the platform going. Yeah. And yeah. what we know is the value of the actor and actresses is their visibility, the characters they play, and how how well the last performance was to get their next performance. That's that's the way the marketplace works. So if Disney starts playing this game of like, no, 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 you're simply just a commodity. It doesn't matter where we distribute it. You don't get any back-end points. There's no, no differentiator. Regardless if the ticket buyers and the viewers are more likely to see one actor or actress over another, 
that right. to say like it makes no difference to the payout we you know the studio or the streaming service gets gets to keep the 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 proceeds of that like i think it's bogus and i think that's where sag mm-hmm. needs to step in and just start saying no you don't understand we're leveraging our talent no different than the directors are leveraging their talent the writers are leveraging talent and the studios making money from it and it's not that there shouldn't mm-hmm. be a risk reward factor obviously part a big part of you know entertainment always has losses to it but we should recognize the wins, especially if you have a contract, especially if Disney has a contract. How many contracts does Disney come down on? They have to be able yeah. to follow through and recognize how that works and not just be a bully. I don't like the bully tactics. It's garbage. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I think Netflix is one of those. I think we've talked about this before, but Netflix had the beauty of being this cash cow that was just here's. X million dollars, go off and make your movie. We'll see you in three months. And it's just, that's like a dream for a lot of people. It's like no, no middling studio exec telling me what to do. And, uh, you know, no, you know, finance guy calling me or a physical production guy calling me, telling me I'm way over budget. I got to cut this scene or figure out a way to cut back on the post for this visual effects. And, and I think that that's, they survived that for a while. And a lot of people were willing to make that trade off by like getting paid a higher salary and, for there to being no back end. There's no sense of what you're going to make in the back end. Now, with the new contract, and again, going back to the SAG election coming up, I think it's going to be interesting to see. Like They'll say, like, well, listen, if this, if this meets your metric of 76 million downloads, we want a cut, a certain yeah. bonus for that, or something like that. And I could totally see that. Or happen. if you add new subscribers, give me a piece of the new subscription yes. base. Or if you retain those subscribers over a long period of time that came on board when I was there, I want to know who those yeah. people are and I want to be able to pay for them. Because there's data to start saying, yeah. hey, this is my fan. This fan came here to see me. And every time I show up, they, they give you more money. I want a piece of the door. That's how the... Exactly right. Yeah. And I think you get the sense that there, there is an uneasiness growing within Netflix that usually, I mean, for the last few years, they've been sort of the, you know, the confident, you know, BMOC and sort of just throwing their weight around town. But over the course of the last few weeks, I've started seeing like a sense that they're not as confident as they once were, particularly on the film side. You know, we had the news last week about, you know, the, the new presidents being bumped up. So there's now they have three. And in this past week, there was this really weird variety article that came out about Scott Stuber. And it was almost, it was a little weird because it, it, it felt like a celebrity profile. It didn't feel like a studio exec. It was like the new world order as if studio like Netflix is responsible for the new world. And there was this bizarre photo of him jumping off a riser. If you see some sort of, yeah, it's like the Tom Cruise jumping on a couch moment. It's almost kind of yeah, weird. It was, <laughs> I was like, what is he doing? Like, why, why does he need to do this? He's like, and this is on top of a Wall Street Journal piece that ran last year about his day. Like, you know, oh, I go pick up my kids and then I go to the... I mean, it's like, what? what? Like, I, 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 I totally get that this is sort of the ego of Hollywood and how that operates. And you've got to kind of look out for your own. And he wants to burnish his reputation. But on top of it, it just feels like, to me, there's almost like this burgeoning crisis of confidence. Like, they have to tell the town, no, we're still confident in film. We believe in it. We're, we're behind it 100% because I think the announcement that they were bumping those two people and the firing of those three marketing execs 
sort of has given this sense that, wait, maybe all everything isn't copacetic at Netflix right now. And I know that they're not necessarily dumping cash on people anymore. They're giving notes now. It's becoming more of a traditional studio. And I think that is sort of, that was their advantage and that's, that's lessening. So now it's like they feel the need or Scott Stuber in particular feels the need to go out and say, listen, I'm still here. I'm, we're still the new world order. We're still leading the revolution of the entertainment industry. Don't forget about us. It's just, it's just very odd to me. I'll say they're right. I mean, there is a new world order. I got that part. There was a revolution or there's yeah. a revolution and they are the leader in it. That, that's true. I think you're right in yeah. saying like, do they, why are they telling us that? <laughs> like, shouldn't they just be, shouldn't they just be revolutionary? Do they need, <laughs> right. It's almost like they're make, they're telling the history in the middle of the story. Like don't, just yeah. be revolutionary. Actually, step up. Yes. This deal with Spielberg, what is that deal? How does it play itself out? How about you tell me the results of it instead of like, pr you know, promoting that you made the deal with them? Like, th there is this, right, right. There is this dynamic that has shifted that for better or worse has happened. How about you make it for the better and just start talking about what is that, what are the changes and what are the opportunities? And yeah, instead of thinking we changed, like, okay. We already knew that, yeah. Yeah, I think, and that's why I'm saying it's just an odd crisis of confidence that I'm just not used to seeing necessarily from Netflix. Because you're right. Why is it that every single media conglomerate has a streaming service now? It's because of Netflix. Why, you know, why are they dumping so much money on putting content on that and bending over backwards to create enough content to hold on to subscribers? It's because of Netflix. Why do people binge? Because of Netflix. I mean, there's so many things that have happened over the course of the last five to 10 years that are a result of Netflix that it seems a little bit almost like they have to feel like they have to say it. Like we're still revolutionary, but at the same time, if you say it over and over again, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't believe it anymore. Maybe they're telling Wall Street something. Maybe that's, it's not for us and our viewing audience. There's like some other you know, audience they had in mind. Well, I think if it, if it was Wall Street, they would have gone a, bro a little broader. I think they would have gone for like a Wall Street Journal well, again or Forbes. Well, yes, it, it was Variety, but Variety is very a very much a town magazine. So the other thing they could potentially be trying to do is offset sort of the rumblings around town amongst studio executive talent. Like, oh, I don't want to go work in Orwellian Netflix where the people are going to rat each other out. Like, they've got to deal with that. But if you sit up there and say, "Who doesn't want to be a part of the revolution in the entertainment industry?" Then that's sort of the draw. Yeah. And maybe that's a part of it as well. Like we have a crisis in terms of our brand amongst talent and we need to fix that. Not just in front of the camera town, but behind the scenes, like, you know, executives. Right. I guess if being part of the revolution is, is you might be dragged out in the street and beaten by your co-revolutionaries. <laughs> you might. Right. <laughs> exactly. Let me, let me do, uh, you might end up in the guillotine. Who wants to join up with that? Let me ask this question. Do I want to be, what is this revolution again? Maybe I could just go to the bully house. Yeah, do I want to get, <laughs> like, I'm not, I, I love what Robespierre is saying, but I like, I, I know how the story ends, you know? So I think that right. that may potentially pay into it a little bit as well, which is, which is to me, it's just fascinating. You're better off it, being really uh, bullied by Disney than being beaten by my coworkers. Yes. Maybe. Yeah, there you go. That's, that's definitely the choice. I, there, to me, the, this idea of the revolution um, this is the transition that we've seen, right? So in our lifetime, we saw the mm. blockbuster transition or moving in and out of blockbuster. So that's what we know are post blockbuster in this now streaming mm. field. Great. There's a lot of great opportunities. There's a huge kind of look forward into the future. 
But I'll just say, like, it, what it seems like, especially, you know, this highlights this in this article, is that the, the future is not being defined by future leaders. The future is being designed by yes. current leaders. And they're, mm. all they can do is talk about the comparison, much like we'll talk about the comparison. But where's the vision and opportunity of what the, what the results of this revolution is? So if the results are yeah. actors are commoditized, people don't get paid where they're supposed to, a pandemic can change all the rules because we're, you're, we're crying in our soup or whatever the thing is. Like, it's like it doesn't really play itself out of like, that's not better results. Instead of looking at, hey, uh, it's a worldwide distribution audience. There's stories that are not being heard that are more easily heard. I think the influence in the Oscars is obviously seen what there are films being accepted, best picture films being accepted that in the old way, like they just, we've never even seen the films. There was no way to access those yeah. films, let alone recognize and be able to put them out to best picture. Um, so there's, there's some great, amazing things that are happening in this revolution, but I want some future leadership in there. I want somebody to step up and actually start, yeah, you know, playing out what it means to, to be on the, on the other side of this, obvious revolution yeah uh it, it's you uh, as you know this is sort of like my one of my biggest pet peeves about the business you've had the same 30 people running this or the same 10 people 30 but wish the same 10 people running the business for the last 30 years and this past week we had news that tom rothman at sony had been re-upped and he's added the chairman or the ceo title um to his his role at, at the studio and listen I, I applaud tom for all that he's done there um, it's never easy to, to head up a studio, let alone a studio in the midst of a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic when theaters are shut down. But he turned it around. It was a little bit of a mess post the email release scandal in the Amy Pascal era. And he turned it around, made it profitable, much like he did with Fox. Kudos to him. But what I would love to have seen with the announcement of his extension was he's planning to retire an X. Here, you know, this so-and-so is taking on more responsibilities and, you know, whoever that person may be, and just to annoy, uh, sort of send that the next level, the next era is beginning. And there is going to be a new way of looking at things. And there is going to be a new production that's going to be, and I lost him. Yeah, and there's we can't, you went in and out there. Sorry. <laughs> Try it again. That's <laughs> oh, right. Um, so, uh, you know, I would love to see a time when that sort of would happen, because I think it goes back to a town issue, because if you're going to try to recruit people into this industry to say, take those jobs, because the reality is the industry is, it's a rough place to start. The assistant salaries are God awful. Um, it, it's a long hours, much like a lot of other jobs. I mean, like you could go work in investment banking, it's long hours, it's brutal, but you're also making $80,000 right off the gate. That's not what's happening in the industry. Yeah. And for, to re for just for a recruitment tool to know that they're, I mean, listen, they're going to eventually die off. It's just nature. But a lot of what they're doing is just sort of, there's no leadership happening. There, I mean, Bob Iger was there. He was a bit of a leader, you know, in terms of buying up brands. But there's nobody really leading the industry through this pandemic. I guess that's what I'm saying, too. Like, who are the names that we're going to put in right. in this era of this transition? Yes. And if they're the same names that we're that were existed before this transition, it's not yet a transition. Um, and we're not taking advantage of the whole playing field. So I want the, if Hollywood, if Wall Street's going to step into Hollywood, I want Wall Street to start telling Hollywood, hey, tell us about this future. Who, who are these people I'm investing in? How do I know that your plan has more legs than just, 
you know, scooping up all the profits in the moment. I would agree with that. But I, I, I think a lot of the mentality of Wall Street is what can you do for me now? And a lot of these guys have, and ladies have proven themselves throughout the course of their career that they can make money. And that's really what Wall Street cares about. They don't care about who's I mean, maybe they do. I mean, obviously, in the case of Disney, they care yeah. who the successor was going to be. Which is what Disney's winning um, in a way. Right. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I, I think there is a, a, a they, they're they're more intent to keep sequel with what they know because they know it'll pay dividends in the end. But I think if the industry is going to survive, then there needs to be some revolutionary leadership. Like Irv, Irving Thalberg was 26 years old when he took over at uh, Columbia Pictures. Um, Zanuck was, I think, 30 when he took over at Fox. And it's like, to imagine that today is like mind boggling. Like Emma Watts, who's at Paramount, I think is in her 50s. Sean Bailey at Disney's in his 50s. And that's sort of like the next gen. Scott Stuber's in his 50s. And he was pres- he was vice chairman at Universal before that. So it's like... Well, that's good because that means I have some hope. I have some possible future to be <laughs> executive. <laughs> yeah, and me too. Yeah. Because I'm not exactly 26. But Yeah, right. They didn't... Uh, they haven't bypassed me to the next generation yet. But anyway, it just would be nice to sort of look at... It, there be a sort of transition to try different things. And you're not going to get that from from a leadership that's been doing it the same way for 30 years. And it took them well, or leadership that has lived in in on both sides of the technology. Where there there's a whole yeah. generation of filmmakers out there that have only lived in a digital age. They they have to have a greater vision and understanding of what that's capable to be done on a platform, right. and yes. giving them opportunity yeah. and letting them step up and lead. And that that's where I, I just think there's so much opportunity in this in this moment. That's why I wanted to start this podcast just to be able to point out, Hey, here's where the changes are taking. Here's, here's how to break through in Hollywood. And here's where Hollywood is breaking. Right. That's, that's what the title means. And I want people to recognize opportunities, but if, if we're all just being blocked by, you know, Scott Stuber's jumping off the thing or Tom Rothman, who re-upping his contract again, like really folks, like where's, I would love to, I'm like, I guess what, what you said too, is like, I would love for the for that announcement to have been what we're doing and what the transition's like. Transition will be. Like what's the next generation look like? And it's interesting. I did I did a talk not too long ago with the Greater Philadelphia Film Office and their young young filmmakers program. And there was a screenwriter on there, you know, because I gave sort of a big talk on how to market yourself and sort of some of the opportunities that this pandemic has brought forth that wouldn't have been a, a part of the industry even a year or two years ago. And one of them said, like, yeah, you know, I think I'm just going to start calling agents and sending scripts and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> like that, you can't. Uh, I mean, listen, that that's the old that's way of doing things. But it's still, yeah. that's 1970. But you say that, but it's still a big part of the industry. You can't get a script in front of a studio exec unless you're repped by an agent. Of course. And it's just, un- and listen, I get it. Legal reasons. We opened the show talking about legal complications and contracts. I understand yeah. that. But how are we going to find the next Spielberg? How are we going to find the next, uh, you know, Scorsese? If we're just sticking with the same group of people mm-hmm. over and over and over again, and trust me, if you're just relying on the studio execs who work at the studio, that's never going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I do feel like there are, you know, you know it too. You could define this generation's leading filmmakers and storytellers. It's very clear we see them in movies often. They're writing, directing, making animated films. I mean, they're do, they're covering that that body of people, but 
um, I don't hear their names um, being brought up or that generation's names being brought up in the leadership of the studios. It's almost like that same movement that we have that is fitting for this time in their in, on the entertainment side is that necessarily matching the business mm-hmm. side and that's where like yeah. oh i think there's i just i don't know i, I think you and i are just uh, wanted wanted to be heard of like there's more to it than just playing the wall street game or playing the game in the moment yes. or the same old tactics there's way too much opportunity in this new playing field and if anybody can get Netflix to make a better film, it would be really, really great to have somebody at the front end of that deal. Agreed. <laughs> yep, that would be nice. But here's the here's the promise: when there is a, a moment where Netflix of Netflix film has met the criteria that all films should meet, I will be the first one to say it. I will give a I will give our advertising block away for free. To that film. <laughs> that would be. It's on tape, Tim. It's on tape. That's my promise. Netflix will not have to pay me for that advertising block that week. That's like <laughs> Lydia. Lydia is our producer. Lydia, mark that moment because we're going to. She'll mark it. I'll be. I will not be like Disney. I'll be true to my word. That's what. Oh, that's... okay. <laughs> nice. No more free tickets to Disney World for Tim. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. You're I done, buddy. I, uh, You're going to be waiting in line for three hours from now on. I don't on. think that's much of a threat. <laughs> well, thank you very much for uh, kind of like gathering this together this week. There's, for me, like the insights that we get to see on a week-by-week basis that come from you and your friends um, really are mm-hmm. the beginning of a conversation that people need to get a hold of and think about as they're putting their films together gathering the crew together, getting the investors together. And I know that you are, I know you sit in investor meetings all the time and you're trying to figure out with these filmmakers, like when is the right time to get investment? Are you ready for it? What's the story you need to tell? And have you even met the criteria that is required for an investor to put the film up, to put the money together? Because some investors, as we know, will just pay the money for, for prestige. But a lot of people want to know, like, will this keep on going? Um, yeah. So those conversations have a lot of insight into what we talk about on a week by week basis. Um, and I just think it's important for people to really be thinking about this no, and for yeah. us to strip away. We might be kind of snarky, but we want to strip away the stuff that is holding you back and getting you to think differently yes. about opportunity. So as we beat things up, as much as it's genuine, it's also a little bit like we're pointing it at something so we can like point the filmmakers in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, so light, light the path forward to make it a lot easier. And, you know, with a lot of the conversations I have, it's very much like, well, this is all well and good, but you know, I can, I could have a Bible of stories of investors who are just like, let's go movie. I want to make a movie. Yeah. And it's just a complete shit show from start to finish. And you really have to look at sort of some of the opportunities that the, this transformation has afforded us. And really be smart about it and not just think that you can just go back to the way things used to be or do things the way they used to be um, and still be a success. And you're right. That's one of the reasons why we do this. I had a conversation this week and you'd appreciate because I think it's similar to a conversation I know that you've had in the past um, with some of your clients, which is the um, a, a, a financier had called one of our, our production companies and wanted to do an animated series with them. And um, just they were basically saying, we have all the money, let's just spend the money now. No distribution, 
no understanding of really who's going to be sold to. It's kind of this, if you build it, yeah. they'll become mentality. They'll come. And from the production yes, company side, it's exactly it. what they do. They're like, sure, I mean, where the financing comes from is fine. We're, we're, they're an execution platform, really. But the thought of like, I swear I got to get Keith in the room with that guy. So that when he spends the money, because he should, and he's doing th some things in the right direction, where does it go? How do we know it has the right makeup? And this is the, this is the moment to edit it for the platform now before it's made instead of editing it after the after it's been created and you sell it and the platform says, hey, go back and all that money you spent, throw it away and do a whole, you know, whole new re-edit. Um, so mm -hmm. that, that, uh, that the opportunity that these investors have to get their, their film seen, sure, yeah, put the money together, get it out there. There's right. a lot of viewing right. audience out there. These platforms are amazing to get that niche audience. Awesome opportunity. Um, should you talk to a strategist first? Absolutely talk to a strategist first. <laughs> and that's what we want to know. We want to know where those strategies are, yeah. how they hit the road. And we want to know how this stuff that we talk about on a weekly basis has an impact on that because it's a trend that you're hitting into. And these are real trends. I mean, we're hopefully mm -hmm. we're close to the front line of these trends so that we're talking about something that's going to work itself out in a few weeks. But to know that that what works itself out really has an impact on, on you with the filmmaker. So yeah, it's it's definitely one of those things where again, as I said just a few minutes ago, it's you know people show up and just say dump the money and say go. It's like there's so much more involved to it in in it than just that. Just getting the money to shoot the production, which is all well and good, yippee. But at the same time, there's a lot of other ancillary things that need to be thought about before you really just dive in. And there's, those are conversations that I don't think are really had, particularly when you just get a, a director or a screenwriter and a producer who, who are just probably been working on this for two and a half, three years, or maybe their entire life, and just want to get it made, just want to do it. And it's like, that's great. I understand the passion behind that. But at the same time, there is a sort of strategic thought process that has to go on once you start shooting a movie Okay, great. What's our what's sort of our plan to get in front of distributors? Also, you know, what's our marketing plan? What are all these where are all these pieces coming in? How are we going to get the money back for the investors? And you know, what about the talent? What 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 do we have that we could potentially use from them to sort of glean this project through? There are a lot of those considerations that are never even talked about. Yeah. Before you just get the money and go off and just start, start shooting, scouting yeah. locations. Yeah. And I like to think of going beyond that like what does it mean to you for your career? What's the next yeah. three films you're going to make because this one is done successfully? That's that's the value you have. Sorry to interrupt you. Yep, yep, exactly. No, I mean I think that that's exactly right. It's 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 where where can the sort of the changes that have happened over the course of the last fifth eighteen months afford filmmakers the opportunities to really start thinking about because there are so many places you can show content now. How we can you know what's the process in terms of getting in front of those streamers and all the other nooks and crannies that have to be in the I's and T's that need to be dotted and crossed for the film to be really the excess. And I don't think any, anyone really thinks beyond that. I had a conversation not too long ago with a screenwriter who's working on something that I think has a really cool idea and he's building out a universe and a world. And I'm like, yes, see, that's great. You're thinking about the future. You're thinking about where this can go. If it's a hit, if it's success. And that is, it's a great way to look at it because he's thinking, he's thinking about the next step. He's thinking two steps ahead. And that's very important. Always important. If you really want to try to take advantage of this sort of new world order that we're 
we're we're walking yeah, into at the moment. That that's why the compromise of just making a Netflix film that satisfies the deliverable at the moment. That's the minimum requirement edge that I'm always against where you have an opportunity to yeah. make a career for yourself and uh, work with people that will advance it. Why are you, why are people making the most basic decisions to get it done instead of great decisions mm-hmm. to make it worthwhile watching and worthwhile to give you the next yeah. film? Cuz this will go away, right? Netflix is not just going to hand out cash. So the best, the best will remain, and everyone else will just been somebody hired at one point. So as you're fighting for your career, we want to get beyond those moments. Well, enjoy your time. When do you go back home? Uh, luckily, I have a few more weeks. Uh, I'm up here for now until the 23rd, um, but we might extend it a few days just because it's nice to be up here, and Philadelphia is hot and stormy, so... <laughs> We'll take advantage of the nicer weather. So I'm going to head to the East Coast on the last week of August. Maybe I'll land there first and drive my way down. And we could have those uh, nice. lobster rolls we were going to have. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here for a little <laughs> bit. If you want to you you check out Maine, I'll give you a little tour. I love it. <laughs> I want to say thank you to Lydia for always pulling this together. We appreciate all the work you do behind the scenes and making this happen. We could not do it without you and Connor who helps us with our research and supports us through this whole thing. Um, we call them the Gatsby. So thank you Gatsby for being there and making sure that you're keeping us on track as well. Keith, to you and your friends and those secret conversations you're having that we can sneak in, whatever we sneak in here, there are little Easter eggs that we yep. drop in here all week long, all day long that we, uh, been hearing about all week. Yep. So I appreciate you pulling that together. Mm-hmm. If you like what you're hearing, feel free to keep on listening right here. Or subscribe to on this podcast platform you're listening to. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, we're going to have a special little snippet now of some trailers and a, t- a trailer edit we did. So, Or not, tra- not trailer edit we did, a review of a trailer edit that we both liked this week. So uh, stay tuned on YouTube. And until next week, Keith, we will talk to you on Hollywood Breaks. Have a great week. Sounds great, Tim. See you next week. <laughs>